You made it. Here. Finally. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of that place you've always wanted to go. You know the one. It's nice. Even the kids like it. This place is so cool. And they never like it. Mom, can we go to the pool? Look at that. Not even asking for the Wi-Fi. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Business software that's hard to use can make work feel pretty darn frustrating. Because instead of helping you do your job, it feels like it's working against you. But Freshworks makes business software that people actually love to use. Which means you can stop fighting your software and start working the way you always imagined. Freshworks. Ridiculously easy software for support, marketing, sales, and IT. Learn more at Freshworks.com. Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at rumkeycareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. William Eric Alexander, all my friends call me Bill, and welcome back to Online with Bill Alexander here on YouTube, also on FayetteTV.org and Channel 77 on the Atlantic Broadband System, and also now on iTalkRadio.us. Hi, everybody. Hope everything's going fine for you. Tonight, uh, we're going to be going a little bit at different avenue. A lot of the people I talk to are dealing with uh, Western Pennsylvania issues or dealing with the media, and come to think of it, I guess... He's dealing with media, too, just not traditional media like we talk about most of the time. Right now on the phone line, I have Mr. Chris Brogan on the line. Chris, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing swell. Glad to be here, Bill. I'm glad to have you. As we were talking briefly before the program, it's been almost 13 years since you and I have last met, which time flies when you're having fun, I guess. It really does. I mean, I, I think it might just be a, a second nature of being a little older as I am, but I just really feel like everything's all compressed. I feel like we just said hi the other day, and yet if you think about it, with all that time between the last two times we've hung out, think how much the world has already changed as far as media and connecting with people goes. Which is amazing, and as I pulled up your Wikipedia page, it's, it's saying that you're an American author, journalist, marketing consultant, and a speaker about social media change. So in layman's terms, what does that mean? 
It means that whoever wrote my Wikipedia page a bunch of years ago doesn't know me very well, but you know, it, it'll do. Um, so what I really do is I'm, I'm more, more often than not, I'm a business advisor and I help companies of different sizes, all from the biggest guys in the world like Google, Microsoft, Disney, Coke, those kinds of customers down to really small entrepreneurial type organizations. I really help try to do a couple different things. How do we use uh, various technologies and tools to drive a better human interaction? That, that's kind of the theme that's been through my life all along. I tell people that I want all these various companies to treat my mom better. And in the process, the way I go after that, you know, they always say like when you're a carpenter and you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. My version of, I think, how businesses need to work a lot better is that they need to get a lot better at creating media that opens up opportunities to interact and to connect and serve the people they're trying to help. So I try to help people in various ways make media that will earn them the right to sell and serve new customers. So looking back over the last 13 or 15 years, when you started doing what you were doing, did you think it would turn out to the way it is right now where social media is so intertwined into our American business uh, uh, climate right now that honestly a lot of businesses couldn't communicate with the clientele or the customer without um, having that uh, having that connection to them? It's a really strange time. I, years ago when I started getting you know cottoning to where I thought this was all going, my opinion was, wow, there are some really neat new technologies, some really neat new opportunities to connect with people. And I think in this process, companies and individuals are going to have this great new opportunity that they just don't have now. I mean, uh, telephones basically have been turned into call centers and answering systems and that sort of a thing. So you don't really get an interaction. Right. Uh, they're also, it's a lengthy process, you know. Think about if I said to you, you know, hey, by the way, your car insurance got canceled. Uh, you're going to have to call customer service. You know you're in for like 15 or 20 kind of annoying minutes. Exactly. Um, these digital tools allow for an interaction that can, in some cases, go a lot faster and be a lot more, uh, what's the word, informal, but still lending to a really good business outcome. And and I didn't really know that's where it was going to go. But, I mean, starting as far back as uh, maybe around 2005 or so, I went from being personally interested in, to, in it to saying to companies, hey, look, there's some magic in this old silk hat, and going around and trying to get companies to, to pick up the idea. So when you got started in this, what were you doing before uh, being, I'll, I'll use the term consultant, um, prior to getting into working with these major corporations? Oh, so like a million years ago, I worked for the phone company, you know, good old-fashioned Ma Bell, and then I went and worked at a wireless telecom company where I was a vendor to these companies, and we would do things like... Um, uh, prepaid wireless and uh, mobile money type solutions and all this. And along the way, I mean, I started blogging way back in 1998 when they were calling it journaling. Okay. And even way before that even, I was doing uh, online community type stuff. And then in 05 I, is when I started doing my first podcasting. And, and so I was just doing that on my own. But in the process, I just kept looking around at the world and saying, guys, guys, we this, there's some cool stuff we could do with this. And I really got kind of scoffed at for a lot of years. And then just slowly, a few dominoes started falling. It's bigger and bigger companies started going, gee, maybe that Brogan guy's got a couple ideas that we could use. And then it just really took off. So, I, you know, when I left my last real live grown-up job, uh, I worked at a wireless services company. Then I went on to help run a conference with Jeff Pulver, um, who had run this thing called Vaughn, which was voice on the net, uh, which is covering VoIP and then video on the net. So I helped with that for a little while. 
Then I worked with these other fellows at this other company to make my own shows. And then after that, I just kind of was able to write my own ticket, launch my own company, and basically start uh, working more directly with big companies and also showing up at a lot of conferences to try to spread these ideas. So with what we've been talking about so far, what has been the big surprise over the last 15 years, say, in social media and how it's affected the way our, our, the, uh, the population uses it and interacts with it? Well, it, it, it's funny. I have a somewhat negative answer to this, and I promise I'll get back to a slightly more no, optimistic okay. one at the end. Um, my buddy Chris Garrett, a long, long, long time ago, I, I'm sure someone else coined this phrase, but to me it's always been his. Uh, we were talking about marketers, and he just said, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> and I think that a lot of what's gone through the world of social media has really turned to, to very negative ends in one way or another. In one way, um, a lot of companies, you know, at least caught a third of the idea and said, oh, sure, okay, we need to get online, we need to use these things like Twitter and Facebook. And then they started by hiring a lot of nieces and nephews. You know, let's get the quote-unquote kid to go do this thing. And they trusted their entire digital voice, their digital interaction with a massive amount of people to someone who, quote-unquote, was good at these computer things. And, you know, I get it on the one side. You know, there's a, there's a big technology shift that people have to go through and you really have to be a little bit enamored with some of this tech to get into this space. But a lot of companies really trusted a lot of the uh, brand experience, either to outsourcing to a bunch of different uh, marketing companies, which aren't inherently bad, but it's, it's taking one, it's, it's putting one more step between the customer and the company. Um, and then also sort of trusting just random people who said things that they had heard other people say and, and kind of proliferating a very, soft version of connecting with these business opportunities. All the while, the real opportunities we had to, to make really better business interactions and help prospective customers just, you know, feel an affinity and a connection with the brands that they hope would, you know, fix their story and make them more successful. It just kind of went on the wayside. Meanwhile, look at mainstream media. There is almost never a news report on any channel anywhere on mainstream, plain old-fashioned terrestrial media where they don't at some point just go and quote a whole bunch of tweets or something like this right. from online. So it's just become a, like a system of record. I mean, the President and Library of Congress of the United States, all these sorts of entities are talking about whether or not you can delete a tweet or block someone and all this. It's That's, you know, baffling to me, but... Did yeah, you ever, did you ever think you'd have a president that the the way he communicates not only to his to the American public that but in some cases to no. his staff and cabinet would be via Twitter at four in the morning? No, I, you know the previous president, um, whoever his team is, because in this case I know it's not just one human, but the previous president followed a whole bunch of people like me on Twitter. That's weird enough. Well, he followed like, me know, too, and I can't country, figure out why. Yeah, you know, the head of a country goes around and finds a whole bunch of people to follow. That, that's weird. Now, you know, he used it kind of as a novelty because it was really, he was like on the cusp of understanding that this is what we needed right. to do. His was sort of the first social media presidency. But the new guy, boy, oh boy, um, he uses it like a weapon. He uses it like a direct, you know, let's bypass the media. He uses it in a lot of ways that are very questionable. But I would say that, you know, what makes it interesting is, this is that raw power that I thought could come about and I've been talking about for a decade plus. You can use your powers for good or for evil, just like yeah. Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. 
Bill, this is a crazy time. And I just feel that there's so many opportunities and that it's never going to be about the tools, but boy, the tools sure do give you access to things we didn't have before. What I find interesting is um, in 2006, when you and I first met, I did a program that actually is the same program I'm doing now. It's just now we've incorporated video and a few other things into it. And I was leaving a traditional radio background to go into podcasting because it fit my time schedule better. And a lot of people didn't know about it. So I did it for about six years, did it to about 2012. And then I took a break, went back into radio briefly, and I teach full time. So it gave me the opportunity to do that. And then all of a sudden, the last six or eight months, I decided, you know what? We need to pull the stuff out of the mothballs and do it again. And all of a sudden... It's like there's a whole new audience because people are now really accepting this as a form of entertainment and a form of media. Because it was like in the beginning stages when we did it, everybody thought we were crazy that we were talking to ourselves. And now all of a sudden, it's become the in way of getting information. And I'm going, I was way before my time. No question about it, Bill. And it's it's nuts. And I'm sure we talked about it way back then. My mom and dad were both DJs uh, at radio stations. That's how they met. My dad I was the morning news guy. My mom was the uh, sultry nighttime request line person. So that was one of multiple jobs for them. It wasn't necessarily a calling. It was just something they did. Right. Um, but I was, you know, enamored with it. My gosh, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And then, you know, but back then, the, the way radio worked and works is that you, you have to know someone to be on it. And then, you know, with podcasting came this democratization. This is all the Gutenberg press over and over and over again. You know, hey, anybody can do this. Um, there's good and bad, of course. That means that there's, a, you know, a proliferation of horrible people making horrible material. Right. But uh, what's great is that, you know, eventually good stuff bubbles up. And the other interesting thing is that, you know, the podcasting thing, I started in 05. It was about a year after it all really got going. And then just like you I've been through all of the weirdest cycles of it. You know, it's great. It's terrible. Never mind. The mainstream is coming. They're going to use it like archives. Uh, and over and over and over again, I think guys like Mark Marin came along, the yes. comedian, and no one could have cared less really about his com- his comedy uh, career. But then his podcasting career shot through the roof, and mm-hmm. suddenly he had all this access and all this power that he didn't have. And suddenly he's getting all these roles that he wouldn't have had. And, and, and we've just seen this over and over and over again. Now, it's almost to the point where I feel like any celebrity in Hollywood, if they don't somehow mention in passing that they also have a podcast, it's like, what's wrong with you? Well, Which is just I've, not- I've noticed that, and it's like, wait a minute. Now, then the reason I said that, that I've noticed an, an insurgence of it is I teach, and I teach high school kids, and I teach the media. And right. I, I, I stayed away for podcasting because in the early 2000s, I taught it as part of a radio course and the interest died out while well, I had a young man come to me in the phone. He goes, can you teach me about podcasting? And I looked at him and I said, really? I said, do you really want to know how to do this? And he said, yeah. So within the last month, I started showing him the software and how to do it. And these kids just jumped on it. Like they've never seen anything like this before. And now they're creating their own and now they're sharing it with friends. And it's like, wow, it's finally we've made this cycle around again that kids are actually willing to tell stories and able to talk. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe we are finally pushing it in the right direction and letting the younger group of people start using it. Maybe I don't want to say in the way it would maybe was was intended to be, but more than be more than um, radio stations, like you said, using it as archives. 
And then when it gets, you know, crazy from there, Bill, of course, uh, no, number one, I know that you've also expanded into videos. So you've got YouTube type stuff yep. going on. YouTube is serving up over 1 billion yeah. hours of content a day. 100 million of those hours is being served on set-top boxes, meaning every single day, 100 million hours of content is coming from YouTube instead of terrestrial television. Which is amazing. That's insane. And now 300 the, million on mobile devices. And now the so, advent of smart know, speakers and everything else that you can say what you, because before you had to download it, you have a smart right. speaker say, Hey, I want to listen to this. It finds it for you. Right. Between bandwidth, artificial intelligence, uh, voice activation. I mean, it's just getting easier and easier and easier to just kind of seek out what we want to surround ourselves with. Now, and I think the opportunities for that are amazing. Now, the one thing we talked about years ago is is about how this was going to be um, accepted by traditional media from newspaper, radio, and television. Radio and TV seem to have embraced it. It's the newspaper industry that seems to have a problem with it because in a lot of cases, they have gotten rid of the actual print, uh, hand-holding print media, and they've gone to online, or in some cases, they've closed down to operation because they can't afford to compete with people that are either giving it away for free or other social media outlets. Uh, over the last bunch of years, I've had the opportunity to go and speak to a lot of different papers at a lot of different levels. And uh, one example is at the OC Register out in California. One of the conversations I had out there was that the model has to change dramatically. I mean, the papers live on ads. That's why a paper exists. Right now, that goes you know beyond the basics of journalism and the fundamental you know the reasons that journalism has to exist in any good, useful society. Not counting that, but just for content purposes, what happened with a lot of papers? And remember, papers are like minimally uh, about journalism and maximally about ads. Right. Um, what What happened along the way is that when this all first came around, salespeople being salespeople were told, "Well, just give them the online stuff for free. Mm-hmm. You know, the real money's in the print." or make it cheap, blah, blah, blah. And then as the print went away, they were like, oh, gosh, we have to try to start charging for online, and the model was already destroyed. Um, the conversations that I had with these types of places, um, with the OST Register and other companies, was that, boy, there sure are a lot of opportunities where you can find affinities. So the science section, uh, you could work with and sell and be an affiliate marketer for uh, telescopes. So there's companies that sell telescopes for like amateur telescope people, and you can sell those and say, this section of the paper brought to you by this, right? And right. like, it's not that hard. And what I find is that for anything that we're really into, we do want the advertisement that goes with it because it's the thing we're into and we want to hear what new stuff is out there for us to be interested in. It's just that none of the, tech, none of the systems, none of the technology, none of the how we're going to approach it evolved uh, fast enough. And there was just a real lot of foot dragging on the way to the future. And so I think now it's at this moment where there's a lot of catch-up going on. And some big, huge systems are going to fail. A lot of the small ones are failing and or being consolidated. And there's going to be a time where I believe that a massive amount of what used to be very traditional vetted sources are going to be supplanted by people we know or people we vaguely know. And, and a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of small congregations of people instead of the bigger picture. So, I mean, before I let you go, and this is going to be a loaded question, where do you see it going in the next five years? Boy, you know, I, I feel like every five years, I think it's going one way and it's going another. I know for sure that 
video just continues and continues and continues. I mean, with those YouTube numbers, uh, with uh, there's there's a couple different reports to look for. One is the Internet Trends report by Mary Meeker, um, who's recently left uh, Kleiner Perkins Caulfield Buyers, but I hope she continues to produce that report. Infinite Dial report by Edison, uh, which also does like exit polling in the United States. Um, and then the other place to start keep you know your eye on is, is look at what people are starting to ask for more and more. So people are starting to have this backlash against Facebook, for instance. Mm-hmm. We don't want these big companies taking our data. Well, you know, we all we, we all we had all opted out of. We gave everyone our data, and we didn't realize what that was going to mean to us. And so, Bill, I think where it goes is that we're going. Oh no, we want it to be a little more intimate. We want X. We want Y. I think we'll see kind of a return to a mix of vast connection and also small pocketed connection. I think we'll see a lot more video being created more and more and more. And the other thing I'm seeing is, for instance, um, around things like, say, sporting events and whatnot, we no longer need fancy old-time legacy people to talk to us about what's good or bad about the Steelers. It's totally going to be fine to have our friend that we, we think has a lot more knowledge about sports than we do tell us this. Uh, and, and you see that more and more. You see less and less reliance on kind of the old system around uh, commentary and a new uh, push towards interesting ways to perceive commentary. And I think that we're going to see more of that. I think also one final piece of the trend, though, is that there's just going to be no niche small enough, meaning uh, if you're a trans person of color who's really into roller skating, you're going to find another 85 people that fit that exact message, and you're going to get together and form your little roller skating content system. And I think that that's what's going to happen all around. And, and I, I think you're right. I really do. And one other thing, are we looking at the younger generation to tell us what's going to be the next big thing? Because they did. They predicted where we were going to be with, I mean, us old people were on Twitter before Twitter was cool, but uh, now all of a sudden everybody's using it. What's going to be the next thing out there that they're going to latch on that we're going to follow behind? Because I know a lot of kids right now are leaving Facebook because their grandmother's now on it. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of that. And I think I think that kind of attrition will continue. One thing I can see, my, my kids are uh, 16, 14, and 13. One just turned 13 a couple days ago. They all make their own content. They all, uh, you know, when we talk about the old days of watching like Lawrence Lessig talk about how copyright's going to change and fair use is going to yeah. change and that sort of thing. And when we, when we you know, um, the media is the message and all that sort of conversation, that was very um, symbolic. That was very uh, cerebral. It was, a, it was a, a thought piece. But it is day-to-day now in their lives learning about things like copyright, copy striking, uh, mixing, remixing, um, mashup type culture and all that. We are in a, in, a, in a space right now where my teenage kids are more often than not creating their own content, sharing it amongst their friends based on mainstream content. I'll give you a simple way to look at this. Uh, there's a movie that just came out in 2018, an uh, animated movie called Into the Spider-Verse. It's about Spider-Man. And it's a, uh, it's a beautiful animated movie, different than anything you've ever seen. And it, it posits that there's this multiple universe scenario. So there's multiple different Spider-Men and Spider-Women, and they all kind of get mushed together into one timeline, and that's the, the plot of it. Well, online, what happened without Sony, without anybody official doing it, was people really got smitten with the art of this and the storyline of this, and there's a line in there about we're all Spider-Man somewhere. Um, and places like Instagram 
if you went and looked for the hashtag spider sona like spider persona okay. 98,000 people made their own version of little spider people oh, really? without anybody's rules 98,000 <laughs> better than any marketing person ever could have asked for and what i could say about that is we're going to see more of that we're going to participate and have the opportunity to participate through our own little networks with or without anyone else's permission around the thing we're super passionate about and companies are going to be really lucky if they can find their way into that conversation in one way or another. And it's just not going to work the old way with gatekeepers and permission and locks right. and balances. Right. Well, Chris, I appreciate you taking time with us tonight. Where can people find you? Uh, just look up chrisbrogan.com, or if that's tricky, just owner.media. Always happy to talk to anybody. Bill, thanks again for chatting with me. Hey, I'd love to do this again sometime in the future, if you wouldn't mind. Let's do it. That sounds great. Hey, we'll talk to you later. Have a great night. Thanks. Okay. Chris Brogan uh, talking to us about uh, media, where we've been, where we're going. Hopefully we'll have him on the program again real soon. Hey, next week on January 31st, I have the book in my hand. I'm going to be talking to uh, Brianne Bear Mitchell. Okay. If you're not familiar with her, her and her daughter, Della wrote a book called Della and Lila Meet the Monongahela Mermaid. That's a mouthful, but this is the book. And it is, let's get that right where you can see it. I'm never good at this, but uh, Della and Lila Meet the Monongahela Mermaid. And it's a ecological book dealing with, uh, with the Monongahela River and pollution and everything else. And we'll be talking to her next Thursday night, the 31st, hard to believe next week's the 31st of January. 2010. The following week, we'll be talking to Clark Ingram about Dumont TV and also um, UHF signal in the Pittsburgh and uh, uh, eastern part of the country. And the following week after that, we'll be talking to Joe Woes, cartoonist, about his tune mazes and uh, what he's doing. He's doing voiceover work now, so that should be fun. Anyways, guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks again to Chris for uh, being a part of the program tonight. And we'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. I'm tired and I gotta go home. I'm tired and I gotta go home. My baby told me she's gonna set me free. If I don't hurry back home, so I better be on my way. You know I cannot stay. It's been nice, you know, but I got to go. Yes, I gotta go home. I left my baby about three. Wanna look 10 years younger? We recommend Short North Dental for your whitening and brightening needs because nothing is sexier than a man with a great smile. Check out the newest gallery in the Arts District at shortnorthdental.com because dentistry has never looked this good. If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. Business software that's hard to use can feel like it's working against you. But Freshworks makes business software that people actually love to use. Freshworks. Ridiculously easy software for support, marketing, sales, and IT. Learn more at Freshworks.com.